Just a warning that this episode describes a traumatic birth experience and uses medical language to describe anatomy. Women's bodies are of particular interest to a lot of people these days, including myself. And as we all know, the focus of that interest can easily become political. But understanding what it's like to live in a female body requires understanding of the nuances. In fact, the female body is really new frontier in the realm of medical research. Some of us rely heavily on the recommendations of the medical community, while others lean more on our beliefs. In rural areas of the country, our beliefs may be influenced more by our communities than we realize. Is there a common healthcare experience among us women who make our lives in the rural crannies of America? And how has that experience shaped us, made decisions for us, without our even knowing? Do those dogs know you? Yes. So I took the postal exam when I was 19. You did? I did. Um, not that this is Sam. Um, I'm a definite um, hmm, women's advocate, I'd like to think. Pro-women. I've known Sam for several years now, almost since she began as my mail carrier in 2020. She's the only mail carrier I've ever gotten close with. A testament, in part, to the capacity for connection in our small community, but mostly to Sam's unflinching ability to befriend anyone. This year, Sam started giving me more than my mail. She started giving me her story. We got to talking in front of my mailbox one day about everything she'd been through in her reproductive life, and I was surprised by the diversity of experiences she's had. Sam is like most of us, having developed a foundation of beliefs at a young age that gets shaken and altered as we get older. I still think we're very behind on that. With women's ability to live... Make their own decisions. When you're done, I think every woman knows when they're done having kids, they're done. People and experiences come in and out of our lives. And spouses, faith local culture, and even the healthcare system itself can help shape our beliefs about our bodies. Like most women, Sam has had to make a lot of choices about her own reproductive health. And she's had to overcome resistance from providers on those choices. Your biggest red sign is like, we're bleeding, like a severely anemic infusion level bleeding. Some of the extreme events Sam has lived through have vexed her husband, Brian. And these moments have helped shape his politics in some surprising ways. I'm a very conservative Republican. While he shares many of the same memories with Sam, his description of those memories doesn't often align with hers, especially as it pertains to the history of the family's health care bills. I mean, I remember being up there and crying because I didn't know if I was going to be able to buy my kids diapers. I did not want children. But before you jump to any conclusions based on what you've heard, you've got to listen to their whole story. There's a lot to untangle about how they describe a lacking U.S. healthcare system that has them tied up in endless bills. I mean, as a mom, you're not going to steal my joy. 
hearing from women near and far this season about how living in rural America affects their health. In this first episode, we're going to hear from a person who represents the healthcare challenges every rural woman could face, even though her journey has been unusual. Today, delivering our story, surrogacy, health insurance, and our personal politics. On Middle of Everywhere, telling big stories from the small places we call home. So I'm Samantha Evans, and I am a mail carrier for USPS. I was born in Freeport, Illinois. Freeport is a town in northern Illinois, about two hours driving distance from Chicago, but culturally a world away. Went to college at Eureka College, home of Ronald Reagan, decided to go to cosmetology school. So I moved to northern Illinois and met Sam. He actually was in uh, farm chemicals, so he was making making a pretty good living. My name is Brian Evans. I'm 46 years old. I was born and raised in Callaway County, which is where we're at now. I don't like being labeled as a Christian conservative. It just really bothers me that just because I'm very conservative, I must be a Christian conservative. No, I'm just conservative. I want what's the best for myself, my family, and the country. I moved when I was 22. Um, I had been here my whole life, and I needed to go away. I was very inebriated that night. And uh, uh, she gave me her phone number, and she said, if you remember if you remember who I am, call me. He called me the next day. I had said, I'll go on a date with you, but you have to shave your beard off. So he shows up like the next day or something like that. And he had shaved his beard off. And I was like, do not ever shave your beard off again. Because he looked like Uncle Fester. All my friends were married um, or getting married. I was in no hurry to get married. Um, Some of my friends thought I never would get married. We were engaged two weeks later. And we've been together ever since. Wow. She wanted a house full, and because she's from a large family. This is going to sound bad. I did not want children. I'm the youngest of four, so I was like, let's have 12 kids. Two years later, they bought their first house in Rochelle, Illinois. And I got pregnant the night we moved into our house. Their daughter Sloan was born in April of 2007. And just seven months later, Sam became pregnant with their son, Barrett. Barrett was born with... um, I prefer to call them abilities um, (laughs) because I'm just a super optimistic person and I think everything is how you take it. We've gone back and looked at the ultrasound pictures and you could see this in the ultrasounds, but nobody told us. It's not like he was missing his heart. I'm picking to be optimistic, but Brian lost his mind. I was excited. That was my namesake. You know, he's going to carry my name. He, I had a daughter, I want a son. I'm sitting there drinking a six-pack of beer. Life's good. Watching the Cubs play baseball. Cubs won that day, so I was like, hey, it's going to be a good day. She had buried. And when you're so excited and you're up on a mountain, 
and the mountain gets knocked out from underneath you by one word that the doctor says, that'll screw with you. As Barrett saw the light of the world for the first time, the doctor saw something too. He's got a cleft lip, but it's not that bad. Okay, like, Joaquin Phoenix, you're going to be a handsome dude. Like, all right, and I was fine. Like, I was over it. Good doctors, everybody. I had a great pediatrician in my pocket. Not even a problem. Um, however, Brian, on the other hand... Uh, he looked like an octopus. I mean, you know, poor kid. I mean, he didn't ask for it. Brian first got upset with the OB. I was just very distraught and irate with her doctor. You know, I worked with chemicals, and I'm like, did I do this? I mean, is this, is this my fault because of handling all these chemicals, even though I'm wearing PPE? I picked up my phone, I'm like, I love you. You're not gonna ruin this for me. Like, So I called his best friend, and I was like, hey, come pick up Brian. So I left. We went and drank. I went and got the kid's name tattooed on my arms. And I didn't go back that night. I mean, as a mom, you're not going to steal my joy. Was was I fair to him as a child, a small baby? No, not at all. I mean, I don't know if I was embarrassed or just, I guess I was in shock. I, I would look at him. I wasn't mean to him or anything, but, you know, I'd look at him and go, man, I'm, I'm paying for something, you know, I did here but I don't know what. You know, he grew up in a Bible Belt. Like, he grew up down here, so he was like, God hates me. Like, we're very different. Like, we are very, I don't want to, I don't want to bash him. Cause well, I mean, you can he's come like, a long way. You're he's, Illinois and he's Kentucky. Yeah. It. Like, I mean, not Battle like, of the North and the <laughs> South. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> How does a blue stater marrying a red stater with very strong feelings and reactions make it work? Sam possesses the rare ability to belong wherever she's at, whoever she's with. I claim to be Switzerland. Meaning she sees herself as neutral. She made a point to tell me that in their family, they don't discuss politics in the house, around the family table. And I haven't heard her refute Brian's disdain for where she's from, either. Northern Illinois. Uh, is a horrible place to live. Brian felt that taxes and the cost of living in northern Illinois was beyond what the family could manage. I got a sense that he attributed the expense of living there to their proximity to liberal-leaning Chicago. It, it, it really made me nervous to bring a child into the world when we did. I don't want to see my kids live in a socialist country. Sloan was born in 2007, the end of the Bush presidency, and Barrett was born in 2008, in the first year of Obama's term. I got the feeling that the changing political climate, plus the tax policy of the state they were living in, filled Brian with resentment. He describes himself as someone willing to generate his own wealth, not wanting to rely on government handouts. And though she's never said as much, I think Sam sees herself the same way. Yet, Sam and Brian started seeing their funds stretch beyond their limits. 
Baby Barrett had myriad medical issues that popped up in his first year, and at just four months old, he went in for his first lip surgery. I remember getting the first bill from Barrett's surgery, and it was $750,000 before insurance. So then after insurance, it was like $23,000. We don't make $22,000 worth of money to offset this. And then of course they do the let's make payment. We can't make, like, that's still $150 a month that we don't have. Like that's food out of a middle-class family's mouth. Did you start thinking about the costs associated with these things? Heck yeah. Because you guys were already struggling financially. Heck yeah. I can remember going to Walmart with quarters because I had to pull everything I had to pay for his medication. I mean, I remember being up there and crying because I didn't know if I was going to be able to buy my kids diapers. So luckily, my mom is like a magician of letters. Sam described her mother as a master linguist, having worked at Edward Jones and Raymond James, dealing with contracts and financial language all day. So we applied for financial assistance, and luckily that first surgery was completely wiped out. Her mother's explanation for how she went about doing this was surprisingly simple. I think I played on sympathy, sympathy and truth. There is a word for the department that every hospital has where you can write for forgiveness or for uh, latitude on your bill. Every hospital has that. I believe what Sam's mother was talking about here was charity care which since the Affordable Care Act was enacted, every nonprofit hospital is required to offer to patients who cannot afford to pay. I did a quick search of our local nonprofit hospital's webpage to see if I could find a link to information on this or an application packet somewhere and was totally stumped. Maybe my webpage navigation skills are not quite up to snuff, but I couldn't find a link anywhere. It wasn't until I typed a few of the title words like financial assistance, and the name of our hospital that Google linked me directly to a PDF of the financial assistance packet. To complete the packet for submission, you need to include documentation like W-2s, pay stubs, and zero income statements for every working age person in the home, plus a screening for Medicaid. Sounds like a lot of work, and it is, especially today when everything is digitalized. To just tell somebody you can't afford it does not cut it anymore. Somebody's got to pay for the ones that don't pay, and it seems like the ones who can't afford it get charged the most. When we come back, we'll hear how Sam used her own body to help pay for the family's increasing health care costs and what kind of hoops she had to jump through to do it. Support for Middle of Everywhere comes from Kentucky Humanities. An affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities, Kentucky Humanities is dedicated to bringing the humanities to classrooms and communities across the state, promoting literacy and civil discourse, building pride in the Commonwealth, and telling all of Kentucky's stories. Learn more at kyhumanities.org. If you find yourself wanting to see and learn more about the story in this episode, visit our website, middleofeverywherepod.org. 
It's full of expanded content, transcripts, and visual companions for each episode, including photographs and original artwork commissioned from Murray State University art students, along with links to all of our available episodes. That's middleofeverywherepod.org. Welcome back. When we left, the remaining bill from Barrett's corrective surgery was forgiven after Sam's mother wrote a letter to the hospital. Do you remember her comment saying those who can least afford it pay the most? Totally true. My local hospital offers expectant mothers who can pay up front and ahead of time a 25% discount on their birth. Do that math. For Sam, now with two young children requiring a lot of time, attention, and money, her dream of having a house full of kids was beginning to wane. I was still wanting to be pregnant, but not with my own children. A couple of years after Barrett's birth, with lots more experience finding and paying for his health care needs, Sam learned about a new opportunity while she was working in the salon. She had come into the salon, and I was I think it was highlighting her hair at the time, and she was in the middle of doing egg donation. Um, so when she told me about it, I was like, that's super awesome, but no one wants my eggs. Like, I'm 6'2 and 240 pounds. No one wants my eggs. But that turned into, oh, you'd be interested in carrying a baby? And I was like, sure. And she's like, well, call this lady. And she gave me a phone number, and I was like, oh, I gotta talk to Ryan. So I went home that night. What do you think about surrogacy? Like, it would help with medical bills. I want to go back to school to become a teacher of cosmetology. It would help us finish our house. Potentially, the income at the time is amazing. And ironically, in the state of Illinois, surrogacy at the time was not a taxable service. I was fine with it. She explained everything to me. She wanted to help somebody that couldn't have kids give back. We had an unofficial interview meet up with the lady from this agency. And she's like, well, let me see your insurance booklet. And in the back of the insurance booklet, there's a laundry list of exclusions. And if it's on your exclusion list, you're automatically knocked out. Well, luckily, even though our deductible was absolutely insane, surrogacy was not excluded. So I am now moved from, maybe she might be able to be a surrogate to, holy cow, let's get her pregnant. So Sam was moved up to the next round. Let's play the dating game. There was quite an intense vetting process Sam and Brian had to go through. Do you believe in extraterrestrials? Do you believe in uh, voodoo? Someone told us that they denied a lady because she believes in reincarnation. We had to answer, and I'm not joking you, like a thousand question paragraph. And uh, he starts asking me these questions. Do you have any trouble with another man looking at your wife's vagina while she's giving birth? And the first thing I could think of is, what? But many of the questions were obviously meant to protect both parties in the event of something going wrong. Do you have a religious preference? Do you, how do you feel about abortion? What if this child has um, Down syndrome or CP that they find out in your ultrasounds or, you know, a whole bunch of things. Like I have to tell them, uh, no, I don't feel comfortable having an abortion if your child has Down syndrome. 
Sam was forced to come to terms with her views on some very tricky beliefs, like the fact that she never wanted to have an abortion, even in the face of a couple spending close to $100,000 to make this baby. I have strong views on women using it as birth control, especially being a surrogate that used my body to help couples have their children. And this is a position that Brian and Sam stand together on, using almost the exact same language. I don't agree with abortion in one case. Birth control. That is where I will step over here and I will get on the conservative Christian side of the fence. However, I think a woman has a right to have an abortion. If certain people hear this, I know I will probably get rid of the riot act over this, but I don't care. I've been wanting to say this for a long time. You don't know where she's at financially, mentally, spiritually, and physically. That needs to be her decision, her decision alone. With Sam's beliefs now permanently imprinted on paper, she was matched with a couple. It took three tries for Sam to get pregnant with their baby. But on their third and final attempt... E stuck. We're calling the baby E to protect their identity. It was the most rewarding thing I could have done as a human. My, uh, I think my mom became an addict because she was like, this is so much fun. It was just a beautiful thing. After that, I was definitely on a high. I was definitely like, I'm the coolest ever. Yeah. Where's your baby at? Well, I don't have it, but you definitely just had a baby. <laughs> You're right, it's not mine. While Sam was feeling awesome about her ability to follow through with surrogacy, Barrett, at age three, was in need of another surgery to fix the scar tissue built up in his cleft lip. It was a simple procedure that afterward revealed another hard truth about Barrett's condition. He had pulled out each individual stitch and the lip was starting to rot. But that led us to realize that he has a little bit of a sensory disorder. In the years since this incident, Barrett has been diagnosed with ADHD, broad-spectrum autism, and epilepsy. So the family's medical bills have been increasing. But the opportunity for surrogacy was still there. Just because it was super awesome the first time, why not? She played the dating game again. I ended up picking J and B. Another couple whose names were omitting. Pregnant first shot. Unfortunately... The delivery this time had a horrible turn of events. I had something called a retained placenta. I found out at that time, you know, if you do not discharge your placenta in a timely manner, you ultimately have to have a hysterectomy or a DNC. Or a dilation and curatage. I unfortunately did not have my doctor deliver me. I had a gentleman doctor deliver me very old school so he actually manually after i had down dilated went in with his hand sam's mother was in the delivery room with her and witnessed what sam could not they had to go in and physically remove the afterbirth she was not aware of the doctor like putting his entire hand up her vagina to get this afterbirth out. It seemed like days, but I'm sure it was only like 20 minutes to an hour. It was it was very traumatic for me because I 
sat there, held her hand, and watched, which I wish I hadn't. I lost a severe amount of blood. I probably should have had an emergency hysterectomy. Luckily, I have not been assaulted sexually or anything like that. But that might be the only way I can explain that trauma. Three days later, I mean, I would just cry and cry and cry. And and I don't want to say it was PTSD, but it was bad. For three weeks following the birth, Sam was in the lowest point of her reproductive journey. She was diagnosed with postpartum depression, despite her and her mother arguing that this had everything to do with the horrific placental extraction she went through. And then, just as she was beginning to feel better, her body started rebelling against her. I just remember it being horrible all the time. About a year after her last surrogacy, Sam started having regular cramping, heavy periods, and mood swings. She started talking to friends and doing a bit of research about her symptoms and determined that she wanted to pursue a hysterectomy, the one she didn't get for her retained placenta. If I would have had to have a hysterectomy, I think it was like $5,000 bonus because you're losing your reproductive organs. Well, the first physician that I went to was locally, and he was just like, oh, there's got to be something wrong. Let's run all these tests. It's the only way I'm going to get insurance to approve a hysterectomy. And I didn't know any better, so I was like, okay. And then when the whole dollar amount thing came up, I was like, nope. Sam was extremely agitated that the doctor wanted to try other treatment options before surgery. Well, let's put you on birth control. And I am not, I'm definitely yet, yes, my son is on lots of medication, but... I am not a pharmaceutical person at all, and it pisses me off that the first thing you want to do with a pain is prescribe a pharmaceutical. Your biggest red sign is I've had my cycle for a full year, not like little cycle, like we're bleeding, like a severely anemic infusion level bleeding. I didn't know some could bleed for a year and not die, but I, it, it, was, it, it was bad. They wouldn't approve it. Because like they told her she wasn't old enough. She wasn't having enough problems. Um, I mean, basically any way you could think to say no, that's what she heard. In 2021, after eight years of trying to get the surgery, going from one provider to the next, Sam finally got her hysterectomy. In order to get this done, Sam left behind the model of care suggested by doctors in her local rural area. She sought out a female OB at a larger hospital an hour away who ultimately diagnosed a hysterectomy as necessary. Please, thank you. You're the best. Saving my life. At this point, it's obvious that Sam's reproductive journey is incredibly unique. There are so many avenues of investigation we could have gone down when hearing each step of her experience, and a myriad of ways that living in remote and rural areas complicated the pathway. For example, did you know that Michigan completely bans commercial surrogacy and even imposes prison time and a $50,000 fine for engaging in any way? Think about how just over the lake, in the state of Illinois, Sam's family didn't even have to pay taxes on the money she earned from her surrogacies. So she was able to use her body to help bring in the cash, 
pay for the family's accruing medical bills. Yes, I know how that sounds. But this type of allowance in her insurance plan could have offset the higher premium she was paying simply because she was a woman. And having waded through so much of the American healthcare system, finding some loopholes, but continuing to confront the changing needs of her family, Sam obviously has some feelings. Mm, all of it is, uh, is, like, I don't get political, but it is all so corrupt. The whole medical field, from insurance to the base level, all the way to the doctor's it is all about the mighty dollar. Insurance, you have to have it, but I don't like it. It's to me, it's a scam. Remember HMOs, sure. twenty old twenty dollar copays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. HMOs were great. <laughs> um, then we went to Obamacare, or the the him coming into office, and with the promise of Obamacare, every American. Everybody needs insurance. I'm fine with that. He scared the insurance companies. We couldn't, the company I worked for was a small mom mom and pop organization. They couldn't afford to keep our HMO. So there's nothing in the ACA that was specific to HMOs? I spoke with Emily Gee, vice president of the Center for American Progress, about health insurance. That said, we do see a decrease in HMO take up. So, you know, among the people who have employer sponsored insurance, um, what, the big trend over the past couple of decades has been the rise of so called high deductible health plans. Those high deductible health plans became popular because of a law that was passed in the early 2000s that attached those plans to health savings accounts. This was the Medicare Prescription Drug Improvement and Modernization Act signed by President George W. Bush. And employers can get a tax write-off for contributions made to an employee's health savings account, or HSA. So even though, in Brian's experience, their health care challenges started happening under Obama, these laws were made much earlier. When Sam listened to Brian's interview, yes, I did let her listen, She was surprised at how different his recollection was from hers. He has said that Sloan's birth was the only one covered by the HMO, thus making Barrett's health care costs exorbitant in comparison. But I asked for Sam's clarification on this. I I don't, I think we had HMO both times. He is like, oh, he's going to kill me. He's one of those guys that talks a really big game sometimes, I think, to kind of puff his feathers up. I don't know. But when he said that he was at the hospital drinking and he drank a six-pack, I was like, no, you weren't. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was. I snook at it. No. What? Well, you wouldn't know. You were in too much pain. No, I know you were not drinking at all. I thought, yeah, I was. <laughs> and by this time, you might be confused about what affected what and why we're even talking this much about insurance history. So suffice it to say, despite their shared anxieties, Brian and Sam have very different recollections about what affected their healthcare costs. And naturally, both Brian and Sam are going to look for reasons this has been such a struggle for them, looking at things like shifting political leadership. But what if the solution lies elsewhere? Canada does a lot of things screwed up. Um, I do agree with, I would be fine giving you more tax dollars at Walmart, the grocery store, gas station to get free health care. Um, so you believe in universal 
Healthcare? Yes. Everybody deserves healthcare. He doesn't believe in socialism, but Canada has free healthcare. Isn't that socialism? Brian doesn't know what he's talking about because if you're a socialist country, you have free health care. We actually need to talk about this because I was like, ooh. Many experts would not say that universal health care is socialism. There is a term we could use to describe capitalist countries that have universal health care. Socialized medicine. And some people have said that the ACA, or Obamacare, has been the first big step towards socialized medicine in the United States. For better or worse. So the ACA did lead to one of the biggest expansions uh, in U.S. history. And it has done some really important things for protecting people's access to health care, especially for women. The ACA is really important for women having access to high-value health care. One aspect of this is the ACA's preventive services uh, provisions that guarantee that women have access to well-woman visits with no copay. Uh, it made birth control free. Uh, it also protects people who have pre-existing conditions, whether that's a chronic disease like diabetes or asthma, um, or even a C-section. In, in the pre-ACA days, women could be charged more for health insurance because they'd previously had a, had a C-section. And what about our rural friends? A big problem in rural areas is there just aren't providers at all. You know, you might have to travel far to see a specialty provider or to get care at a hospital. Um, we've seen a lot of rural hospitals close over the past couple decades. But even with local access to hospitals, will rural residents take advantage? I don't see local doctors. It cost me less money for me to go to Mercy and Paducah with, I think, better physicians and better practices than it cost for us to go to Murray the first time. In other words, better health care for less money. Rural residents in general across the country have less access to high-quality health care. It's harder to obtain for a number of reasons. And when I asked Sam if government should focus on getting dollars into rural health care systems to bolster the accessible care, I don't think that there should be money poured into this. A surprising answer. Then people are going to start moving into your rural areas, and then you're going to be more populated than what you were before. You're going to raise your housing value. You're going to raise your taxes. You're going to become Chicago before you know it. Sam and Brian's perspectives raise so many questions that may have answers on both sides of the political spectrum. Would socialized medicine improve rural access to high-quality health care? And how does improved health care affect local economies? Women sometimes need immediate care with a thorough diagnosis that a local doctor may not be able or willing to offer. So how do we standardize proper health care access for women in this environment? When you're done, I think every woman knows when they're done having kids, they're done. It's not a matter of... We've leaned heavily on Sam in this episode to offer insight into rural experiences as we open a new season focused on women's health care. And I, admittedly, was putting pressure on her experience to offer wisdom and solutions to open our season with. I did ask her directly to talk to me about what choices women have available to them. So I just want to touch on this stuff with you while you're on your mail route. Um, I think I'm going to disappoint you. 
so I mean I think women in healthcare they I think and I'm this is all I think and I guess it's all my opinion I think when a physician says oh you want a hysterectomy you know that we can't put those organs back and they they almost want to double triple quadruple check say even when you ask a question like starting with are you sure that shows a doubt into your mind are you sure yeah ariel are you sure your hair's red <laughs> are you sure <laughs> to me it looks more auburn and then you're gonna go home and be like Oh, maybe it is more Robert because it's automatically put in your head. Well, are you sure? Yeah. It is. I truly love this analogy. Women are asked this all the time. Are you sure? Are you sure that you don't want to make use of this organ you've been endowed with? I would say, yes, we want our doctors to do their due diligence. And sure, women's health care needs are often defined by their reproductive systems. But there is an entire body with a thinking and feeling brain that is ultimately connected to those organs. There are women who never want to use those organs to have children. There are women who don't have female reproductive organs at all. So in rural systems that might be antiquated, more expensive, or lacking in diversity, what does care look like for women who might not be defining themselves by their anatomy? So, I mean, I guess that's that's kind of my answer. And that's the end of your, your armful of mail. That's the end of my armful of mail, and I'm not even taking anything back. This episode was produced by me, Ariel Lavery. Our editor is Josh Adair, who also gets his mail delivered by Sam and can attest to just how delightful she is. Thank you to Annie Davis, our intern, for fact-checking and proofreading this script. You can find images of Sam on our website at middleofeverywherepod.org or on Instagram and Facebook at middleofeverywherepod and Twitter at rural underscore stories. Our theme music was composed and produced by Time on the String Sound Studio in Paducah, Kentucky. Other scoring comes from APM Music. This is a production of WKMS and PRX. This program was made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private organization funded by the American people.